0: The alarm went off at 4 a.m. I groggily got out of bed because my roommate came and banged on my door and he wanted to go outside. I decided I'd rather go back to sleep. Coming
1: up on Carolina Connection, when fire alarms blare throughout dorms, some students hear an annoyance rather than a warning. Good morning, I'm Sophie Mallinson. And I'm Brianna Atkinson.
2: Also this week, the midterms increase the power of North Carolina Republicans. Pedestrian and bicycle crashes are at a five year high. A new startup aims to make late night trips safer for female identifying students. Carolina veterans reflect on their time in service and on campus. And a new student production brings reality TV to UNC. I
3: saw a flyer for it and I was talking to my friends about it and we were like, oh, what if we apply? From the UNC
1: Hussman School of Journalism and Media. This is Carolina Connection. Thanks for joining us. When a fire alarm sounds in a dorm, a lot of students assume it's a drill and decide to stay put in their rooms. But while the university does have a lot of practice drills, four in each building per year, many alarms are for real fires. And if students choose to snooze through them, they endanger their safety and that of firefighters. Gerard Millman has more.
4: The ear-piercing blare of the dormitory fire alarm echoed through the halls, screaming into the ears of every sleeping student in the building to get out. This was not a drill.
0: The alarm went off at 4 a.m. I groggily got out of bed because my roommate came and banged on my door and he wanted to go outside. I decided I'd rather go back to sleep, so I went back to sleep and
4: he went outside. This UNC student was one of many who decided not to leave when the fire alarm went off October 31st at Taylor Residence Hall, part of Rams Village. We are not using his name because he violated UNC's fire safety rules. The fire department says the alarm was caused by somebody cooking, though they found no visible fire.
0: Most of the time the students feel that it is not actually a fire, so they would rather just stay in, keep doing whatever work they're doing instead of going outside. Um, And as for the number of people that actually go outside last time, my roommate said it was about around 20, and I think there are a few hundred people who live in
4: ramps, so. Chapel Hill hasn't had a fatal fire in several years, but town fire marshal Chris Wells says people shouldn't ignore alarms. He says that's a problem with students living on campus in the dorms, students living off campus, and even non-student
5: town residents. I've heard it from the crews and stuff, you do get that sporadic no one's evacuating. So the, the fire trucks, when they respond back to communications via radio, sometimes we'll hear no evacuation. And I think sometimes um, it is the, the whole proverbial boy who cried wolf or person who cried wolf scenario to a degree where people just become numb to it. But even the
4: worst case scenario can happen. In 1996, on graduation weekend, the Phi Gamma Delta fraternity house on Cameron Avenue caught fire after a cigarette ignited a trash can. Five students died and three were injured. It was Mother's Day. In response to the deadliest fire in Chapel Hill's history, the town required all multifamily housing units to have a heat responsive sprinkler system, a vital fire prevention tool that many of the old Greek houses didn't have.
5: So we do have here in Chapel Hill a more um, restrictive local ordinance that Um, goes a little bit further than just what the minimum code for the state is uh, that dictates where we put sprinklers.
4: Wells says that combining the strict building codes with public education has made Chapel Hill one of the safest towns in North Carolina. Adam Swift is the UNC Fire Marshal. His department is responsible for everything fire-related on campus, from inspecting smoke detectors and sprinkler systems to responding to alarms.
5: Fire code says that there has to be fire drill the first 10 days of classes. So we'll hit every dorm the first 10 days, and then we schedule other ones just farther out during the year. One has to be after dusk and before dawn, but they're unannounced, so it's just a random fire drill.
4: Each smoke detector on campus has an address. When it engages, it sends signal alerts to the fire department. They can pinpoint which smoke detectors went off, and if more are engaged from a spreading fire.
5: Um, If it's just a single smoke detector inside of a room, that'll just activate one room, so the entire building won't go off, so students aren't necessarily notified. But then if a second smoke detector goes off or a common area smoke detector, then the entire building activates, and that's when everybody would have to evacuate the building.
4: To Fire Marshal Chris Wells, leaving the building means keeping everyone safe, including the firefighters.
5: Is the reason why the fire department is such a, a huge advocate. One, of course, is getting out of the building, stay out, that way you're safe. Is accountability. You know, we there's a lot less risk to firefighters' safety, knowing that if if everyone's evacuated and accounted for, then we're not wasting time or resources or putting people at risk.
4: Although Chapel Hill rarely sees fires, Wells says planning and practicing a fire escape plan with a place to meet outside is the best way to stay safe. That's why it's so important for students not to ignore those alarms, no matter how much they'd rather go back to sleep. In Chapel Hill. I'm Gerard Millman.
2: Tuesday was election night and a victory for North Carolina Republicans in the General Assembly. They won a supermajority in the Senate, but the bulk of their decision-making power lies in the makeup of the House. Walter Reinke reports.
6: On election night, Republicans won 30 Senate seats, a supermajority. However, they only won 71 House seats, one shy of a supermajority, meaning that Governor Cooper will still be able to effectively use his veto. With Republicans only being one seat away from a supermajority, they will have nearly complete control of what bills get through the legislature. Jeff Dabiri, the Capitol Bureau chief for WUNC, says that there will be little compromise between the two parties.
7: I don't
5: think there's going to be very much of that. They don't need them, by and large. Compromise will remain largely a dirty word in politics, and I don't think it's going to happen too much, at least on controversial things.
6: The legislature will likely be looking at several controversial issues in the next session, including education, taxes, voting rights, and more. One of the most controversial issues is abortion, and Republicans are likely to introduce an abortion bill, but it's much less clear. Without a supermajority, Republicans need to convince at least one House Democrat to decide with them in order to override any veto. Republicans will have to make deals with Democrats in order to get support for controversial bills that are important to them. Mitch Kokai, a political analyst at the John Locke Foundation, a conservative think tank, says that there are issues where Republicans will likely be able to get Democratic
5: support. Perhaps something in the education realm, if there's something related to school choice that can get some Democratic support, uh, more than just one or two votes from Democrats, and perhaps it's something that's not a big priority for the Democrats, but there will be enough of them to go along with it, that it would be hard for Governor Cooper to justify vetoing it.
6: Rob Schofield, the director of NC Policy Watch, a progressive news outlet, says that Republicans might also take a look at a myriad of issues.
5: Could they move to further privatize public education? Will they uh, seek to roll back LGBTQ
4: rights? Uh, Will they uh, pass new attacks on transgender people? Will they um, pass new anti-immigrant legislation? Those are some of the issues that stand out.
6: The other big win for Republicans on election night came in the North Carolina Supreme Court. Republicans won both races, meaning they will have a 5-2 majority on the court starting next year. Democrats will not have a chance to take back the court until 2028, the next time Republican justices will be on the ballot. The biggest case the Supreme Court will likely face next year is redistricting. The legislature is required to draw new congressional maps next year, and it is likely that they will be challenged up to the Supreme Court. North Carolina's congressional delegation currently sits at 7-7 but Republicans will likely draw new maps that will give them at least 10 seats in Congress. They may also attempt to redraw state legislative districts. Tabiri says 2023 could also see the re-emergence of cases that were previously decided, such as Voter ID and Leandro, a recently decided education funding case, which are likely to make their way back to the Supreme Court again.
5: Lawyers are going to find a way to get things back before the Supreme Court. Many, if not all of the, the things that have been done recently by this court could very well be reversed in part or in large part by the next Supreme Court.
6: With Republicans taking control of the Supreme Court and increasing their majorities in the legislature, analysts say that it will be up to Governor Roy Cooper and Attorney General Josh Stein to be the last line of defense for Democrats. In Chapel Hill, I'm Walter Renke.
1: As UNC continues to struggle with its racial history, the Board of Trustees has approved a new policy concerning campus markers. The university has already approved one new marker that will commemorate the spot where a black resident of Chapel Hill was stabbed in 1970. But board members expressed some concern about future markers. Tejon Wilson has more.
8: The discussion at Thursday's Board of Trustees meeting follows an earlier decision by the board to erect a marker for James Cates, a black Chapel Hillian who was stabbed outside the student union 52 years ago. Cates was attending a dance marathon when a fight broke out. Members of a white supremacist gang were charged with murder but acquitted by an all-white jury. But Provost Chris Clements says UNC policy doesn't technically allow a marker like that on campus. So the trustees revised the policy.
5: The Cates Memorial is not really covered in the language of that policy. So all we were trying to do today is align the policy to that practice by putting in one little change which says if they choose to, the Board of Trustees uh, can name memorials after historical events in the
8: life of the university, um, which the killing of Cates was but trustee Marty Kotis raised concerns about the policy. He worried that the historic markers could become rallying spaces for groups that could distract from the university's educational mission.
5: We're not a museum in a lot of ways. We are here to provide the benefits of the university to the people of the state, and I just want to make sure that we stay um, true to that kind of core educational mission and protecting our students. For now, UNC has no definite
8: plans for markers other than the one for Kate's. And UNC freshman Jess Fode, who was at the board meeting, said the discussion on the policy was quick and did not go into depth. And she says the new policy, allowing markers for historical significance, is vague.
2: I guess that means that there's some part of history that's not significant. So what are we saying is a significant part of Carolina's past? And thus, we will memorialize it.
8: (laughs) Provost Clemens says UNC is continuing to examine renaming campus buildings that are currently named for white supremacists. Four buildings have been renamed so far. A chancellor's committee has recommended renaming several more, but Clemens does not have a timeline on when the board might consider that recommendation. He adds that it isn't an effort to erase history, but to stop memorializing the history that the board of trustees may not be proud of. In Chapel Hill, this is Tejon Wilson.
2: New bike lanes have been rolling out around Chapel Hill. The change comes after a notable increase in biking and pedestrian crashes over the past five years. Nayeli Jaramillo Plata reports.
9: September 27th was a busy day on campus. There was a sea of Carolina blue as people walked towards Keenan Stadium Wait. to watch UNC play Notre Dame. Around two o'clock, Natalie Tunstra, a UNC junior, was riding her bike to the stadium to work the concession stand, when she was forced to abruptly hit her brakes when the light turned red and she tumbled off her bike. She pointed toward South Road near Keenan Science Library where it happened. So this is the road that I had my accident on. There's not a bike lane on this road. And like so many, I've seen like five cyclists like in the past five minutes. She still has scabbed and bruised hands. She said at the time she thought those were her only injuries.
10: But the scariest part was they couldn't get an ambulance because it was game day. So they couldn't get an ambulance through here. So they put me on a stretcher in the back of an open gator. It drove me through like the game day traffic to the
9: hospital. So everyone saw me on the back of this gator as I'm like gushing out blood. She later found out that she suffered a concussion and a gash about three to four inches deep on her chin. From 2017 to 2021, pedestrians and cyclists were involved in 184 crashes in Chapel Hill. That is an 11% increase from the previous five year total. Chapel Hill transportation planner Joshua Mayo sat in a town hall conference room, tapping his foot, wondering what may be causing more crashes.
11: I think we've found that folks have been driving a bit faster. There's always been some crashes between students um, and drivers, but I think that uh, we've noticed some particularly severe ones this year as well.
9: But he said the transportation department has been working towards making the town safe for cyclists.
11: So we have bike lanes on Franklin Street, um, recently added on West Franklin Street from uh, Chapel Hill's border with Carborough to close to Columbia Street.
9: During the summer, the North Carolina Department of Transportation resurfaced parts of West Franklin Street, East Main Street, and West Rosemary Street, which made it possible to add those bike lanes.
11: The process of adding those bike lanes um, was a little bit of a long one.
9: But the transportation department is not stopping there. It hopes to add bike lanes on UNC's campus that connects to Cameron Avenue.
11: Um, Right now, there's a big project on Cameron Avenue, so a lot of water and sewer work is being done. Um, And when we come to repave the road, uh, there's an opportunity to add more space for bikes and to make it a better bike lane facility, to look at options for getting it all the way to campus, because right now it ends a little bit short of it.
9: However, until the bike lanes are expanded, Tanstra said that campus is not safe for cyclists. I haven't ridden my bike since it happened, um, mainly because I didn't want to get
10: in another accident and if I had a concussion, make it worse. Also, I've just refused to look at my bike because it has, i
9: wiped it off, but it did have blood stains on it. She said she will start riding her bike again because it's more efficient and she hopes that UNC becomes a safer place for cyclists soon. In Chapel Hill, I'm Nayeli Jaramillo-Plata.
2: You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Brianna Atkinson.
1: And I'm Sophie Mallinson. When you think of a college meal staple, ramen noodles might come to mind. But there's something more serious behind that stereotype. Twenty-two percent of UNC students are food insecure, and ramen
3: may be all they can afford. Jalen Neville has more. In the basement of Avery Residence Hall is the Carolina Cupboard, an on-campus food pantry that provides free food to UNC students. Patrons enter the door and are greeted by cans stacked on overflowing shelves, student volunteers, and nutritious food as far as their eyes can see.
0: We have hot pockets. We have no. what I told me have things in the freezer. We got those little burrito things. We got there's a lot of stuff in there. We got apples in the fridge. We got bell peppers. As president of Carolina Cupboard. UNC senior Kayla Brown wants more people to know what the organization is up to. This is really for students and I want people to know that because often things end up going to waste because students aren't coming in because they feel like they don't need it. But at the end of the day, people don't like to be defined as um, facing food insecurity. It can be difficult for students to recognize when they are food
3: insecure. They may not see their hunger as a problem or they've internalized the food insecurity as a personal failing. Some students even avoid asking for help when faced with a shortage of food.
0: Although it is a problem on our campus and I feel like people shouldn't feel shamed or anything when it comes to that because I have faced food insecurity like plenty of times and it's like I didn't like feeling the shame in myself to do that so I kind of want to educate people that food insecurity doesn't mean that you're poor, this is not, We're college students, we don't got money like that, you know what I'm saying? If you have difficulty accessing meals, have to share or
3: cut meals, or consistently miss a day or two of the same meal, then you have experienced food insecurity. Students across campus are hungry and struggling to get connected with food on a regular basis. UNT sophomore Samuel Hendricks is a senator in the undergraduate student government. He's become more knowledgeable on the realities of food insecurity at UNC as the issue hits closer to his home.
8: Personally, I've witnessed friends who don't have a meal plan and they're like relying on their own means. And then they're like, oh, well, something happened with my car. Now I can't pay for food this week and I'm living off a loaf of bread.
3: Many students have come to see the symptoms of food insecurity as part of the normal college experience.
8: I think there's a lot of pride that comes from it. Um, Just as college students, we don't really want to ask for help. So I think it's a lot for students to, number one, admit it, and number two, kind of understand what it actually means. For so many people, they think, oh, this is just part of the college, and it's not.
3: Carolina Cupboard President Kayla Brown says her organization offers relief through their food assistance. She hopes more students take advantage of the fully stocked
0: fridges and shelves. Meal plan's expensive. Some people, the dining halls may close at certain times. Students have to study. So this is where, like, Carolina Cupboard steps in and helps students as well so they can get their groceries when they can. With food costs in our state continuing to rise, the
3: Cupboard encourages more students to rely on the pantry as a consistent food source. From Chapel Hill, I'm Jalen Neville. Veterans Day was yesterday, and for some UNC students,
2: it's a time for reflection. Reagan Allen talked to UNC student veterans about what the day means to them, how they celebrate, and life as a veteran and a Tar Heel.
10: UNC's student body includes about 250 veterans. Among them is Zachary Marchand, a Peace, War, and Defense and Global Studies major. He joined the Marine Corps in 1996, the Air Force in 2002, and retired in 2018, like a lot of student veterans, he's older than most of his UNC classmates. And he says that's part of the challenge for veterans to fit in on campus.
5: It's difficult for for people to kinda integrate into a new community that you're
4: you've been outside of for a long time. You know, it's kinda weird kinda coming back in the classroom and you, maybe it's a little bit of pressure you put on yourself, but having that center where you can go down and be around, you know, people that have at least a shared understanding of your background and your experiences and some of the stuff you've been through, it does help.
10: I spoke to Mar Chun about what Veterans Day means to him.
4: I think Veterans Day is mainly a, a time for me to reflect on on the friends I've lost, you know, um, kind of, you know, the situations that have led to, to where I'm at now, um, the sacrifices that my family's had to make.
10: Aaron Hall is pursuing a master's degree in public health with a concentration in leadership and practice. He joined the Army in 2005 and is still in it today.
2: Veterans Day has always been a time for me to remember um, those who came before me. Uh, My family members, my friends and their family members, remembering the guys that I've fought with and been next to you, this is a great time to
6: remember them as well.
10: On November 19th at Keenan Stadium, there will be a Military Appreciation Day football game to commemorate veterans. In Chapel Hill, I'm Reagan Allen.
1: It can be scary returning to your home when it's dark outside, and sometimes taking an Uber ride from a stranger can be just as frightening for women on campus. A new student-run ride-sharing service seeks to change that. Emma Cook reports. On the
12: weekends, you can find junior Macy Brown driving around Chapel Hill, giving rides to female-identifying Tar Heels for her ride-share service, She's Not Here, and it started as a way to raise extra funds for her study abroad internship in London. Of
13: course, I'm getting ready to leave. I like booked my flight yesterday. So it's all but it's
12: quickly grown to be something much more for female students at UNC. The idea for She's Not Here started when she brainstormed becoming an Uber or Lyft driver to raise money, but realized she wasn't comfortable with not knowing who would be riding in her car. Brown says this is a reason why she isn't comfortable getting a ride from these services either.
10: Walking home alone at night also isn't an option she loves. I have someone watching my location, someone on the phone, and like a key in between my knuckles, like just in case. So I I know this isn't like an isolated feeling just for me. It's a lot of people feel this way.
12: And seeing riders book her rides over mainstream services has solidified this feeling for Brown. Senior Chelsea Hignite says she books a ride from Brown at least every other week, usually when going out with her friends at night. And she says having a female UNC student driver has given her peace of mind this semester. And I've had some... You know, just uncomfortable situations with Uber drivers where I don't necessarily feel the safest. And so I feel like that's why she's not here has been absolutely a perfect option for me because I know that Macy is the driver and she's a kind and wonderful safe person. Female students can book a ride in advance or on demand. But
10: that is so cool. I like
12: during a ride. Brown plays music, talks about classes, or catches up with what they're doing on campus to create a friendly, conversational
10: environment. I had one girl say, "Um, you know, I don't like to order an Uber because you never know who the driver is going to be. Mm -hmm. And then she laughed and she said, well, I met you three minutes ago, but you're not a stranger. Brown says that
12: Carolina is a tight knit community, and sophomore Claire Dwan says she might put more trust into a driver that is a fellow UNC student. Dwan often takes an Uber home from work, sometimes as late as 11 p.m., and she says she always shares her location with close friends and carries pepper spray. Dwan says she would definitely try the service, as well as recommend it to friends.
2: It's always better to be safe than to be
12: sorry. She also loves how the service supports Brown's study abroad program. Rides booked in advance are $10, with on-demand rides at 15
2: I mean, if my money goes to her study, and then if my money also goes to protecting myself, that is a, just a great idea. And I think it's like, it's a win-win situation for both sides.
12: Although Brown will be abroad next semester, she is currently selecting students to
10: take over She's Not Here for the spring. And then I would love for She's Not Here to live on at UNC. It like belongs to the girls at UNC so that they have some way of feeling safe and getting home late at night.
12: The service operates Thursday through Saturday from 4 p.m. to midnight, and students can request rides on the She's Not Here Instagram. In Chapel Hill, I'm Emma Cook.
2: UNC's quarterback Drake May has been leading the Tar Heels to success this season. Carolina Connections' Noah Monroe joins us to discuss if any awards are in sight for the Tar Heel.
1: Thanks for joining us, Noah. Now, with Drake May behind center for North Carolina, they're 8-1 and and on the verge of clinching the Coastal Division. He has to be bound for some national award consideration, right?
7: Yeah, it's about time May finds himself in the conversation for not just ACC Player of the Year, but probably even the Heisman. He's fifth in the country in passing yards with 2,964 yards, second in passing rating, and first in passing touchdowns with 31, and he's doing all of this while keeping the ball out of the opposing team's hands, only throwing three interceptions. And he's doing all of this against top 50 defenses, facing five so far this season, And for a quarterback who's not only in his first year of starting, but is also a freshman, he's done a pretty good job at handling the pressures that come along with it.
1: Now, how does he stack up against the current competition for the Heisman?
7: Well, if you look at how Tennessee quarterback Hinden Hooker and Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, the two leaders for the Heisman so far, did against the same competition that May has, the UNC quarterback shapes up pretty well. Stroud played against Notre Dame to open the season in which the Buckeyes got the win, and Stroud threw for 223 yards as well as two touchdowns. Meanwhile, May against the Fighting Irish threw for 301 yards and five touchdowns, but UNC losses the Fighting Irish did whatever they wanted to do against the Tar Heel defense. Uh, Hooker played U- ACC opponent Pittsburgh in Week 2, and he did pretty well for himself, uh, 325 passing yards and two touchdowns. May against the Panthers threw for an astounding 388 yards and five touchdowns. Just a pretty great all-around game for him. The knock on May has been that he hasn't played hard opponents. Uh, However, you can't say that about him while not saying it for Hooker or Stroud, as both were applauded for their performances against Pitt and Notre Dame. But May wasn't, despite outperforming them in pretty much every statistical category. And May's played pretty extraordinarily this year. uh, But with UNC playing Wake Forest today and NC State on Black Friday, May will need to keep up his performances if he hopes to be at the Heisman Ceremony in New York in December.
1: Great. Well, thanks again for joining us, Noah.
7: Thanks for having me.
1: Finally this week, many college students watch reality TV from their dorms, but some students got a chance to live the experience in student television's new
13: show, Head Over Heels. Madison Ward has more. Senior Nicole Morfield is the producer of Head Over Heels. She said she came up with the concept for the show after watching The Bachelor her freshman year of college. She said after doing research, she realized there was a lack of a student version of The Bachelor, so she led the charge to create one.
10: We really just wanted to make something that was lighthearted and fun and was an opportunity for students to connect after the pandemic.
3: Hey, contestants, how are we feeling? Yay! UNC Student What's
13: Television hard? created the show. STV is a student-run television station and one of the largest media organizations on campus. The show can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Moorfield said students were cast for head-over-heels after an extensive selection process that aimed to be representative of UNC students.
10: So we tried to make sure that we had as equal as we could. Could with different like genders, sexualities, races, ethnicities, majors even. Tried to make sure that it was more representative than I think a lot of dating shows are. But we also had to prioritize people who were interesting and people who seem like they might be compatible with each other.
13: Raquel Couch is the associate producer of Head Over Heels. She said 10 students were ultimately cast for the show. 10 ended up being a nice number
0: because we had five and five and we could evenly see like, oh, we can at least get a couple of good pairs out of this.
13: UNC sophomore and cast member Lexi Dixon said she initially applied for the show as a joke. But as she went further in the application process, she began more seriously considering becoming a contestant.
3: I saw a flyer for it and I was talking to my friends about it and we were like, um, what if we applied? (laughs)
13: Dixon said she unfortunately did not find like on the show.
3: I'm not really sure I made like a really genuine connection with anybody. But then again, it was only, we only filmed for a weekend. So um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I am not dating anybody now currently.
13: (laughs) There will be three episodes of this season's show. The first episode premiered on October 15th and was filmed at the Campus Y. The following episode is aimed to be released this month. Each episode will be approximately 20 to 25 minutes.
12: But it's reached a whole brand new audience because I think it really resonated with people. And I think I saw some of that at the premiere. I think people were really happy with how it turned out.
13: Lead editor and sound mixer Tyson Edwards said the premiere of the show was widely successful and well received by viewers.
12: I think it's at 800 or something views now. I think maybe a little less, 700 or something, which is absolutely unheard of. It was unexpected for us. Because from my previous years at student television, the show is usually maxed out at maybe 200 views.
13: Edward added the show surpassed other STV shows in terms of online viewership.
2: Reporting from Chapel Hill, this is Madison Ward. And that's it for this edition of Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Layla Pakamian. I'm Brianna Atkinson. And I'm Sophie Mallinson.
1: You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening.